Today I'm going to be preaching on a very particular topic. Uh, starting next week, I'll be preaching about the season of building that we're going through as a church. So we've been through a long season of healing. We've been through a long season of, okay, let's let the dust settle. Um, and now we're just shifting into a season of actually building. What does it look like to build a church? Um, but before we actually, you know, launch into, all right, this is what building looks like. I wanted to address kind of an, a, a big elephant in the room, and I feel like it needs to be addressed. Um, so if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to encourage you to open up to Psalm 68. Psalm 68. Open up to Psalm 68, and we're going to be reading verses 4 through 6. I'm actually not going to show slides for everything today. I was told I have way too many slides, so I trim it down a little bit. We have some slides, don't worry. But um, yes, I would encourage you to kind of follow along with your Bible. So we'll read together. Um, uh, I'll read out loud, and you can uh, just follow uh, Psalm 80, uh, 68. 68, I said 68, right? 68, verses 4 through 6. And it says, sing to God, sing praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in, in a sun-scorched land. So today I actually wanted to talk on the topic of if my slides will um, work somewhat. Can we just have the first slide? So I actually wanted to talk about loneliness. Loneliness. It's kind of, it's kind of a hard word and a hard topic to talk about very openly. And of course, it will in no way be a comprehensive message about, you know, this huge topic. But I'm praying that what we talk about today will be a conversation starter. We need to start somewhere. And so today's message is actually titled, Sometimes I Feel Lonely. So a book I'm reading uh, currently, it talks about a researcher that actually stood in front of a huge company of people who are actually in the military. So these are people who are like hardcore, like people who you can't imagine ever having feelings kind of people, right? They're out there in the wars and they're doing everything they need to do. But so this researcher was standing in front of a crowd of military personnel and she asked, I want everybody in the room here who feels exhausted to raise their hands. And basically the entire room raised their hands. And so they went into it a little bit deeper um, when she asked for the culprit, why do you think it is? Almost always the answer was, it's because of the workload. The pace of the ops they were running was far too intense. There's just too many things going on all the time. But upon closer examination, they actually found that it wasn't that. The, the pace of things actually hadn't changed. Uh, the stress of things really hadn't changed all that much. What they actually were diagnosing as exhaustion was actually a sense of loneliness. This, the feeling of being alone in your task. The feeling of not being understood by your peers. The feeling of carrying something that people will never um, be able to connect to. 
It was the feeling of being disconnected and alone that was actually manifesting as exhaustion. So more vulnerable language, especially in the context of military personnel, it was a problem not of exhaustion, but of loneliness. And they kind of had to call it by, th by that name. If you use, they realized that if you use a more sterile language, if you say like, oh, you're just feeling disconnected, or you're feeling, you know, whatever sterile language they could use, um, it didn't quite hit the mark. They kind of had to call it by its name and look at it in the face in order to actually be able to address it. And so there's, the reason for this is that there's inherent shame regarding this topic of loneliness. Because culture dictates that if only you were successful, or if only you were popular, or if only you were socially adjusted and socially desirable, this wouldn't be a problem for you. You know, it feels like you can't talk about it, and actually not talking about it makes you feel even more isolated. And so you don't want to be seen as needy. You don't want to be seen as lonely because if you're seen as such, then you're going to be treated as such. And that's the fear. It's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. But whether you're willing to admit it or not, loneliness is actually a part of the human experience. It's common in all of us. To differing degrees in different people in different seasons, we often feel too ashamed to admit it because of that lie that, man, it must only be me. My neighbor seems to be doing okay. My roommate seems to be doing okay. My coworker seems to be doing okay. The person that I'm following on Instagram seems to be having a ball. Like, wow, this is what life is supposed to look like. I guess it's just me. I guess it's just me. I'm, I'm the only one who goes through this. But let me say it this way. Just because someone's busy doesn't mean they never get lonely. Just because someone's married, it doesn't mean they don't feel lonely. Just because someone knows a lot of people doesn't mean they don't feel lonely. And just because someone's social media feed is awesome, you know, it doesn't mean that they don't feel lonely. And the reason for that is we are all made for relationship. Can we have the next slide? We're all made for relationship. So in 2009, the New Yorker, they, they published this article dealing with how solitary confinement actually erodes an individual's personhood. So the results of isolation, regardless of context, it could be a prisoner of war. It could be someone who's in jail in solitary confinement. It could be someone who has a profession that makes them be alone all the time, like, like, a, like a sailor that's on his own or an ast astronaut. Um, whoever it is, doesn't matter what context, if they are in isolation, they had devastating, it had a devastating result on a person's ability to think to speak, to function, to regulate emotion, to have normal conversations, to focus, or even have a firm grip on reality. It actually didn't matter what context it was. If they were alone for long enough without human contact of any kind, they would see all these different things manifesting in different ways. So people put in situations where they're deprived of normal and regular human interaction, which show concerning patterns of behavior. They could even go to the extent of having hallucinations, bouts with irrational anger and violence, inability to react or respond to stimulus, inability to initiate, lack of purpose, self-destructing behavior, like repeatedly banging their heads on a wall for no apparent uh, reason, self-mutilation, all these different ways that isolation would affect a person.
So some people who have been in isolation for long enough, they actually never made it back to normalcy, even when they were reintroduced to society. So it wasn't just a behavioral adjustment thing. It even affected people at a brain chemistry level. So people who had been through isolation will actually, would actually exhibit similar results uh, through testing as someone who had head trauma. There are parts, particular parts of the brain that wouldn't light up. And so this article summarizes all these findings by saying that isolation, for all intents and purposes, is a form of torture that slowly disintegrates one's humanity. Physical torture could event, you could eventually recover from, but the psychological damage of isolation sometimes was permanent. So relationship that is meaningful, it isn't just a bonus, it isn't just a cherry on top, but it's a necessity, it's a human necessity. Theologically, this is a reason we are made in God's image and God himself is a relational God. If you think about it, even before he ever said, let there be light, for all eternity past, God was still a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect harmony, perfect relationship, perfect unity for all eternity past. They had perfect communion. And so one pastor put it this way. Our desire for friendship is what makes us most human, but also most like God. If you're lonely, you're simply acknowledging you're getting in touch with your design. But if you say you need no one and you want no one, then you have shut down the very spark of God in your life. And that's how he would summarize it. The next slide this is something that needs to be said and needs to be acknowledged publicly. We all feel lonely at times. And this is because we're all meant and designed for perfect unity and perfect connection, what we call communion, right? And yet we are unable to experience it perfectly on this side of eternity, both with God and also with people as well. So if you talk to a person who says they've never struggled with loneliness, they're either Number one, lying to you. Or number two, they're really unaware of their emotions. They're very out of touch with their emotions. Often, you know, people who say like, no, I haven't felt lonely in the last, you know, however many years. It might be because they have buried themselves underneath some attempts at self-soothing addictions. That'd be something like Netflix. That'd be something like becoming workaholic. It, there's so many different ways in which we can self-medicate uh, ourselves so that we don't feel that sting of loneliness, which is actually a very human emotion. It is a very common human emotion. And try as we might, no matter what kind of amazing friends you have, like BFF forever, like you have a hashtag, like you guys have like a t-shirt, like, like you guys, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of amazing friends you have. It doesn't matter what kind of perfect family you have, or even what kind of perfect spouse you have. We will never experience being fully understood and fully embraced and fully loved perfectly because we're all fallen human beings that cannot love perfectly and cannot receive love perfectly on this side of eternity. So we will let others down invariably. Like no matter how much confidence you have in your ability to be a good friend, you're going to let your friend down sooner or later in one way or another. No matter what great a spouse you think you are, you're going to let down your spouse sooner or later, usually sooner, right? From what I hear, um, you're going to let them down sooner or later. 
So if you struggle with loneliness, the good news is that you're in good company. Now, in our particular context, there's so many different factors that I could mention that might attribute and even exacerbate this feeling. There's like really, really so many, and this is not to be like, not to be a downer, but there's so many reasons why it's perfectly normal to feel lonely given our particular context. Number one, for example, most of us here are expats and foreigners in Korea. Most of us here are away from our families. So the nuclear family that somewhat provides that stability, that sense of safety, that person that will eat dinner with you every night, that person that will nag you to get up every day. Like you don't have that usually if you're out here on your own, you're away from home. Another factor might be, you know, any English ministry, honestly, here in the city of Seoul is a very transient ministry. That's, that just comes the territory. There's people flowing in and there's always going to be people flowing out. And even we as a community here, we've experienced a lot of people going out in the last year, year and a half. Um, and that just comes with territory being an English ministry. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It's actually right. If it hurts, it means that those relationships were significant and you should feel some sense of loss when somebody leaves. I don't think it would be okay for you to numb yourself and be like, well, Somebody else will come along. Like, that's a terrible way to live. You know, it's okay to miss people. You know, I really, you know, even in this last year, I experienced that a lot. Um, a lot of people that I was very close to that had developed relationships with for years, they are actually not here anymore. And I didn't feel that sting because I was so busy for a while, except when it came to random days like Thanksgiving, you know, and you look around, and you're like, oh my gosh, like they're all gone. Like, or your birthday. You know, you're like, why is like 99% of my birthday wishes on Facebook? You know, <laughs> in person, it's like one person, you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's that feeling that's going to catch up to you sooner or later. And that's, you know, that's a factor in that feeling of loneliness as well. We live in, in the midst of Korean culture and Korean society. And sometimes in Korean society, unless you belong to a certain group, like a club, like an athletic club or a university club, or like you went to middle school together, or you guys meet for book club or something like that, unless you actually belong to one of these already made groups, it's actually really hard to get to know someone, to get to the point where you're like, hey, you want to come over for dinner? Like, oh, hey, you have time for coffee after thing. It's actually really hard to break that barrier. Um... Another thing, our age group, most of us here, we're beyond force groups, you know, like, like nobody will be like, now you sit down with little Timmy here and eat your lunch. You know, nobody's going to do that. Hopefully nobody does that. Right. We're at a point where most of us here are, are adults and you have to choose and you have to sew into your relationships. Nobody's going to tell you, okay, you and you, can you please become friends? Nobody's going to do that for you. Right. Hopefully, right? <laughs> please talk to me if that's the, if somebody does that for you. Um, so our age group right now, it's beyond these force groups. And you actually have to go through the discomfort of like walking up to your coworker and, you know, being like, hey, so I have a couple of movie tickets, you know, after work. I don't know if you want to go or if you're busy, you know, like you have to, you have to go through that awkward stage, which everybody hates. There's not one person in the world that loves that awkwardness. Um, and so you have to kind of go through that awkwardness. And oftentimes 
just the thought of it makes you just cringe and like, you know what? I can just watch this movie by myself twice. That's what I'm going to use these two <laughs> movie tickets for, you know, like you just don't want to go through the hassle, right? Another reason, multiplicity of stages in life. So even within this room, we have people who are still college students, people who are post-college, people who are single, people who are married, people who are married with kids, people who, you know, have sent their kids off. You know, we have a multiplicity of age groups and stages of life. And often what happens, and this is very, um, very interesting how this happens. You know, sometimes when I have conversations with married couples and I'll be like, Hey, so like you guys want to hang out and, and, it's really weird, but they do this. They're like, why would you want to hang out with us? You know, like we have kids and like, we're, we are on a schedule and like, because we're going to be super loud. Are you sure? Like we're cramping your single lifestyle. I'm like, there's nothing to cramp first of all. And like, I want to do life with you. I want to eat with you. I want to hang out with you, you know? And then when you talk to the singles and, and, and you're like, Hey, you know, you, you, do you want to go ask, you know, this family, they want to hang out. They'll be like, why would they want to hang out with us? You know, like we're single, we're kind of needy. And like, you know, we're going to feel like they have children already. And like, why are we going to be a burden? You know, and it's like, we're like, wait, something's not connecting. We're not talking to one another. And we kind of have this pre, you know, uh, perception. Yeah. Perception's a word. We have this perception without having asked that, man, it's going to be too much if I ask or like they won't be able to say no and it's going to be really uncomfortable. But, you know, that's part of having a group of people who are in different stages of life. Another reason, as if that wasn't enough, we are living in a millennial generation and we are very disconnected, especially because of technology. There's a social media factor where you feel FOMO, FOMO, like fear of missing out. You're like, you know, especially when you feel lonely, this is the worst to go on your newsfeed to be like, I feel so alone, but everybody seems to be having a great time, you know, like, Oh, there's this event that I didn't get invited to, or there's this thing that I didn't know about. And it seems like everybody's having a great time except for me. And that feeling of isolation, it just gets exacerbated when that's not necessarily the case. That's not necessarily reality. Another one last thing that I wanted to mention, you know, as a church, we've been through a lot. And in the past, our church was really highly structured and really hierarchical. You had like a rank, like you had like your peers and then there's your superiors and then there's your inferiors. And like within your little tier, like you're allowed to be friends, like that kind of thing going on. So the aftermath of that structure being stripped out, it kind of leaves you in a place where you're like, okay, everybody's my peer now. Like I can potentially actually just be friends with everybody now. It's a little more scary sometimes because you're like, well, if I'm a newcomer, I, I don't know if I can like, approach this person to feel like they're a leader. You know, like sometimes I get that from people as well. just because I'm a pastor. I have feelings too, guys. <laughs> I eat dinner too. You know, I like text too, you know. But people are like, oh no, like you're a pastor, you must be so busy. I'm like, no, I still have to eat, you know, like and so I feel that distance just being created because of some unspoken kind of barrier that is there that I wish wasn't there. And that partly comes, it's just growing pains. You know, like our church, we're relearning what it means. Um, to be a church and to be family without that hierarchy. And so these and many more reasons are the reasons why it's normal for you to feel lonely at times. 
So I kind of wanted to make sure that I go through all these so that it kind of normalizes the experience. So you don't like feel like, like she's talking to the entire room, but she's really talking to me. Like she sees me. She, she, she knows that I'm lonely. No, it's everybody's experience. And it's a very normal human experience. And in this context, all the more so. So what happens when you silence this gnawing feeling of loneliness by either burying it under busyness or distraction or like numb, whatever it is, um, once again, for this, I'm going to use slides. I'm going to dazzle you with my amazing artistic abilities. (laughs) It's your favorite part. It's like, (laughs) um, can we go into the next slide? This is what happens. Oh, yeah. So there's two dudes, right? Two dudes or, or, or gals, I guess. They got a phone in front of them, by the way. If you can't see from the back, there's, they've got phones with them. And they're saying, I feel so alone. Everyone else seems to be having a great time. I'm the only one who feels lonely. While at the same time, there's somebody who's lonely, like right next to you, but sometimes you're unable to see them. So this, this perception of like, man, I'm lonely, but everybody has someone and I'm the only one who doesn't. That's what happens when you bury loneliness. Second thing, the next slide. You never give me anything. Like, and he's he's sitting, he or she is sitting in front of, you know, a table. You become unable to see things through a lens of gratitude. Like you look around and you're like, everybody seems to have gotten so much more. And there's so many things in my life that you actually become blind to because, because you're just so fixated on what you don't have. And so you become unable to see things through a lens of gratitude, to actually see what's right in front of you, what God has given you, what he has blessed you with. Third way. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Comparison. This dude has gifts in front of them. He's looking over to the side saying, how come I got less than that guy? Right. While at the same time, this little dude right here is stealing what actually does belong to him. So that's what comparison does. You're so fixated on somebody else. The grass is always greener on the other side that you actually not just lose gratitude for what you do have. You actually lose what you do have. Next. And this is probably one of the things that are most devastating in our relationships. You know, we're broken people pointing at each other and we say, why can't you just make me happy? And then we give Jesus the hand or like, Jesus, you stay out of this. So we expect others to fix us. We expect other broken people to fix us when Jesus is the only one who actually can. So this is how the book, Seven Longings of the Human Heart, uh, this is how it, it frames it. The human heart craves intimacy. Therefore, the enemy seeks to exploit this by bringing us down many avenues that offer a counterfeit intimacy, which in turn brings shame. The irony is that when we accept what the enemy offers, we minimize our chances of experiencing real intimacy, leaving ourselves open to loneliness, even in the midst of multitudes. In loneliness, Satan can destroy people much more easily. So if we were to go back to our text, we're talking about Psalm 68, verse 4 through 6. It says, sing to God, 
Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Who does the setting the lonely in families? Who does it? It is God. It is God. We don't need to force it. We don't need to fabricate it. We don't need to, you know, scrape the barrel. God is the one who sets the lonely in families. And he's the one who leads us in freedom. So it is because who he is dictates what he does. Who God is, a father and a defender, dictates what he does. He sets the lonely in families and he leads forth the prisoners with singing. It is God who sets the lonely in families. That is his commitment to you. Whether you're here for two weeks visiting Korea, whether you're here for 15 years raising a family, that is his commitment to you. No matter where you go, whether you're passing through Korea, whether you're going to live here forever, that is his commitment to you. He will lead you to community. He will lead you to greater freedom, greater worship, simply because that is who God is. So this is the theological side of things. Now let's talk about a few practical things. Some things that we need to do. I'm just going to talk about three different things to do. Because we want steps, right? The first is learning to be alone with God. This sounds very simple. It's actually really hard. I think I, I spent like maybe like, I'd say like six years of being a Christian and being a leader in my church before I actually realized that I didn't know how to do this. And it's because I was so busy doing so many things, always accompanied by other people, always organizing events, always doing something. And then there came a point where I realized I actually don't know how to be alone with God and being alone, not being accompanied by people and not actually, even when I'm alone, not, not doing something, it actually would cause me anxiety. That's when I realized I actually don't know how to be alone with God. Like the fact that somebody is not breathing next to me, like it kind of causes me anxiety and I cannot be left alone for too long. It wasn't for a long time. I kind of just said like, that's just an extrovert thing. You know, I just like people, but it actually wasn't a personality thing. It was just that I had never learned to be alone with God. So something that, you know, I would recommend for everybody, whether you're an introvert or extrovert, doesn't matter. This is something that's going to revolutionize your life. Okay. Turn your phone on airplane mode once in a while. No one's going to die if you're not available for like one hour. You're not reachable for one hour. You know, turn your phone in airplane mode. Turn off social media. Turn off Netflix. Just take a Bible and a journal somewhere and just... Be like, I'm going to put my butt on the seat and I'm not going to get up for the next 60 minutes. And you, actually, I time it just so that I'm not looking at the time like constantly. So I will set an alarm and I'll be like, okay, as soon as I press start, I'm not going to lift my butt off this chair. If I need to go to the bathroom, too bad. I'll hold it until the 60 minutes is over and I'll just do that. And I realized that I've become um, really bad at kind of keeping focus for that long. Like I, I get antsy, I get fidgety, I get like 
like, where's my phone? Like something interesting must be happening somewhere out there. Or like, I feel like I, I need to walk around. I need to go somewhere. I need to do something. And I realized that, wow, it's a problem if I can't sit down just for an hour without my phone, just with my Bible, just with my journal and spend time with the Lord. So if you try this, it's going to feel really uncomfortable at first, but it's going to be eye-opening as well. You can realize like, wow, like this is really hard and it's going to take a lot to kind of rein in my attention, rein in my focus and not get distracted. Um, but without my phone, like consider you're going to feel like, oh, like I actually felt like I connected with the Lord without all these different distractions. Without my phone, like consistently buzzing in my pocket, you know, it, it, you're going to feel like you've actually connected with God. Don't you hate it when you're sitting with somebody having dinner or having a really deep conversation and they're constantly like looking at their phone? I hate, that's like my pet peeve. That's my pet peeve. I'm not going to look at anybody right now, but somebody, anyway, uh, I really hate that because you feel like, like, what am I like chopped liver? Like I'm sitting in front of you. I'm sharing like something really important to me. And you're like looking at your phone all the time. Like, can't we just have a conversation? Can't you just like look at me and like have a conversation, be fully present? And I realize that's what we, you know, we don't like it when people do it to us. And yet we do that to God all the time. We're like, look, God, you're going to have like a full hour today. You're going to have a full hour. And then like five minutes in, you're like, oh, I look at Instagram, this QT, you know, like, oh, now that my phone is open, you know, like what's going on. And we do that consistently to God. This is one of the reasons why we've never actually learned, especially in this generation, to be alone with God. Another practical thing, learn to be there for someone else. Now, the reason why I phrased it this way is because often when we feel lonely, we're waiting for someone to initiate with us. We're waiting for someone, you know, and you tend to get bitter when you're waiting in loneliness. Like, man, like I thought I had friends and where are they? And, you know, they all seem to be too busy for me now. Like bitterness settles in really quickly. And all this perceived stuff, it becomes very real very quickly as well. So this, that's the reason why I phrase it, learn to be there for someone else. I'm sure, like I am 100% sure there's somebody out there who's also lonely, who's also wanting somebody to reach out to them. Why don't you be that person? Why don't you be that person to reach out? Why don't you be the one to take the risk and be like, hey, do you have dinner plans later? If not, let's just go grab a bite, you know? Or like, hey, I don't have any plans for tonight. Are you up to anything? Is it okay if I tag along? That's like really uncomfortable. But it's okay. Nobody dies. If they say no, they say no. And you move on with life, you know, but you know, you move on with life. It's okay. You need to learn to say no and also take no's as well. Right. But learning to be there for someone else, that's often the quickest way out of this like loneliness spiral. When you start to feel like, man, like I am so alone right now. And man, like my schedule doesn't fit anybody else's. And like, uh, I'm only free this day. And it seems like everybody's free on this other day. And you know, when you start there, it's, there's just no turning back. But if you're there for someone else, if you reach out to someone else, if you text someone else and be like, Hey, do you have any plans? Like, Hey, I don't know if you had any plans for later on, but you know, do you want to just hang out? Even just that learning th to be there for someone else, learning to be there for someone else who's in need is really important as well. In the same way that you want people to reach out to you when you're in need, when you're not in the greatest partying mood, you know, and you just need somebody to sit with you. That's what you can actually do for someone else as well. When you're not the life of the party, 
Like that's not the season you're going through or that's not the day that you've been having and you just need someone else. In the same way, we want to be there for someone else as well. And last practical step, be open to new things while still exercising gratitude for what you already have. Now, this is my inkling, right? If God is true to his word and he sets alone in families, then there are people that God is placing around you, even right now, perhaps you are unaware that they're going to be lifelong friends or that they will be there for you when things get tough two years down the road or people that you will raise your kids alongside. But you will never know that if you're not open to the possibility of relationship. When I sense that, like, that, like, piercing man, like, all the people that I really sewed into and, like, we had really deep friendships, like, where are they now? When I start feeling that way, what I feel the Lord saying to me is, like, man, if you treated them five years ago, if you treated them the way that you treat new people around you right now, then you wouldn't be missing them because you wouldn't have built anything in the last 10 years. Or how, but because you're open back then. And you knew that you wanted deep connections, no matter how long or how little time you had with them. That was a reason why we were able to build those kind of deep friendships. And that's why you miss them right now. In the same way, the people that are around you right now, maybe they're lifelong friends and you just don't know it. But we have to remain open-minded. The, you know, when you see enough people leaving your life or leaving, you know, your church or leaving your community, leaving this, this country... There's going to be a temptation for sure, a hundred percent sure. There's going to be a temptation to shut down, to be like, you know, I, I feel like I've invested enough people and like, you're really tight with them for three months and then they leave, you know, or you're really tight with them, you know, for six months and then they leave. Or when you're talking to a newcomer and they're like, Hey, I'm only here, you know, for, for two months, you automatically, you're like, oh, okay, done. Let me look for somebody who's staying here beyond a year. Like, that's how you begin to think when you start allowing that bitterness to kind of settle in and dictate how you treat the people around you. But that's such a dangerous path to go down on because then it means that you isolate yourself from actually people that God is placing in your life, people that are supposed to become family, and yet you're closed-minded to that. It's going to require you to take initiative. It's going to require to remain, to fight to remain open-minded and open-hearted, to risk you know, heartbreak to, to risk, you know, someone leaving your life as well. It's always going to take that no matter where you go. And for those who are hurting, perhaps, you know, there's people in the room who have been through bad relationships or you feel, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like something has happened in your life where you feel really hurt by other people. For those who are hurting, the answer to bad relationships is a no relationship. It is good relationships. It is healthy relationships. Making healthy boundaries is necessary, but building walls isn't. You, need to, you don't need to be like butt buddies with everybody. Like that's not, you know, what the Bible says, and that's not what is healthy, I think. Like you, you don't need to be butt buddies with everybody, like BFF with everybody. But, you know, like you need to be open. You need to be open. And who knows, out of, you know, out of even this group, maybe you'll find a butt buddy. <laughs> but you need to remain open. Now, this is what um, Tim Keller says. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. So to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. So rejection, basically. But to be fully known and truly loved 
is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. So the end goal for us isn't to be surrounded by bodies all the time. So for you to never have a moment alone all the time. It isn't for us to not spend one moment alone with our thoughts. It is to be known, uh, it's, it's to be known truly and loved truly by God first that we would endeavor to be truly known and truly loved by others as well. And that we would also seek to know and love others as well. So once again, once again, we're back to the first and second commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Otherwise, you can't do commandment number two, which is love your neighbor as yourself. If we don't learn to receive love from God and love God first, the energy, the intent, the motive behind which we're going to be connecting with one another is going to be tainted somewhat. We're going to want someone to satisfy our needs. We're going to want someone to fix us. We're going to want someone to use them for our own benefit when real love is actually giving of ourselves. And this is why it's so important to keep those two things in mind. The first commandment, love God. The second commandment, you can love people. And that's what the gospel is. So let me close with this. It is important that today's message is not worded, uh, that it is worded, we all feel lonely at times, but it's not we are alone. Those are two very different things. So we all feel lonely at times, but the truth is that we are never alone. The gospel story is essentially one of relationship broken and relationship mended. It is relationship and trust broken and relationship restored. God made man and woman to remain in perfect relationship with one another and in perfect relationship with himself as well. This is the God who walked in the cool of the day with them. And when sin entered the picture, the first thing that happened was that man and woman had to hide from one another right? They had to hide from one another and they began to point fingers at one another. The woman you gave me, the man you gave me, you know, like it, that's where it all started. By the way, if you don't know where it started, that's where it happened in the garden of Eden. There was shame that led them to hide and cover themselves. And that led them to hide from God as well, who had come to them and, and had to ask them, Adam, where are you? It wasn't that God couldn't geographically pinpoint where they were. It was that the relationship that was once perfect was now broken. And mankind was alienated for first time in all of history from their creator, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But the good news that in the same way that God came down into that garden in search for man, Jesus Christ, the son of God, also came down and dwelt among us in search for broken mankind. And no matter how alone you've ever felt, no matter how deep in the shadow of the valley of death you felt, the only human being that ever experienced true aloneness, not just through betrayal and abandonment, but as God the Father turned his face away from God the Son, 
for the first time in all of eternity was Jesus Christ on the cross. He was the only human being who has ever experienced true aloneness. And that was so that we would never have to. His end goal was reconciliation. When the veil was torn, our alienation from God, the Adam, where are you? That was reversed. And not only were we reconciled to the Father, but now we're also reconciled to one another as we are adopted into family. God brings us into family, not just a one-on-one relationship with him. He brings us into family. We have been adopted into family. And so this is a picture painted in 1 Peter 2. And this is a great picture. Ta-da. Wow, so deep, right? This is what 1 Peter chapter 2 says, right? As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So this cornerstone is Jesus. I don't know if you can tell that it's Jesus, but he has the beard, right? So that must be Jesus, right? Jesus. (laughs) He is our cornerstone, and that is the part that should be comforting to us. The cornerstone takes the weight of the building and also determines the direction and the orientation of it. All the other stones have to do is simply put their weight on it. We trust him. Trust that he will take care of you. Trust that he's not just putting one stone on top of another. He's building a household. He's building a house. He's putting you in family. And hopefully the stones next to you will also be that happy. So I want to end with this. Um, what drew me to New Philly back in 2008, even before it was called New Philly, it was actually boiled down to two different things, right? One was the community. Like there was a sense of like, man, these are people that know I'm only staying here for six months, and yet they're pouring everything they have into my life. This is when I was really broken and I didn't even know it. This is when I was hyper-religious and I didn't even know it. And I needed people to pour into my life. And they did it even though they knew that I was leaving in six months. Or so I thought, right? Um, Even though I was only staying here for six months, people would call me up. People would make sure that I wasn't alone after service. People would reintroduce themselves when I forgot their name for the millionth time. Like, people would text me throughout the week just to make sure, hey, did you make it well through, you know, this week? That was really life-giving. And I didn't realize that I needed it that badly. That was the first thing, the community. And second was the vision, the vision of the house. I knew that New Philly was never going to be like a normal, everyday, ordinary church. There was something particular about this house that just drew me to it. And it was the vision. It wasn't just community. So like really good relationships, kumbaya, but no direction. It wasn't that. It was community and vision. So it wasn't that you were running full throttle after this vision. You were running alongside people towards this vision. People that would encourage you when you needed encouragement. People that would rebuke you when you needed rebuking. People that would be there for you and say the hard things that you needed to hear. It was that that made me confident that, man, this is a kind of church that I can envision myself running with for years to come. My brothers and my sisters are not going to let me grow cold in my faith. They're going to challenge that. 
My brothers and my sisters are not going to let me grow discouraged on my own. They're going to counter that. And I felt so comforted by the fact that it wasn't just, you know, God painting a vision and direction that I wanted to go on, but also putting me alongside people. He was setting the lonely in a family that we could run together and we could do it long term. I needed these people, people who would make sure that I wasn't on my own, people who made sure that I didn't eat alone. And that would text me through the week. People that would make their care and their love known to me. It wasn't just like they love me on the inside, but they don't show it on the... They actually did things to make sure that I knew that I was loved. In the same way, I feel like that's what God is calling us to do as a house right now. People who might be together either for a short time or for a long time. You never know that. I thought I was going to be here for six months. And that was 2008, right? Um... But yeah, who knew that I would be running with brothers and sisters for this long and with these brothers and sisters for this long? People who know that even if our time is brief or long, we're pouring ourselves. We're pouring ourselves. We're initiating with one another. We're putting ourselves in that awkward position to reach out to one another. Maybe we should think about it differently. If there's somebody who's staying here for a short time, then man, it's God saying, hey, you have four months to pour into this person. You might not get another month. You have four months to pour into this person. You better make it count. Who knows what they're going to be up ahead in the future. Just so in, love them, care for them, reach out to them. And you never know what God is going to do with that. If anything, it might be more urgent for us to love fully because we know that our time together isn't indefinite. And if indeed this is a house that still goes by its name, New Philadelphia, it's a, it's a church that's named after the city of brotherly love. A God who called us to love one another in the way that brothers love one another, laying down our lives for one another. God himself will build us into a house that doesn't just carry the name, but also carries that spirit. So that's my hope and that's my prayer now, as we go into a season of building and as we begin to talk about what it looks like to build a community, we have to start with this first. It cannot be that we're painting vision and then feeling like, okay, it's just my personal conviction. No, we need to know that we have one another. We need to know that we're not alone. We need to address the feeling of loneliness and call it what it is and reach out for one another and learn to be alone with God. All these different things that need to be in place for us to not burn out two months, three months down the line. Does that make sense? So it's a challenge for all of us. All of us face loneliness. All of us feel lonely. All of us do. One time or another. If you don't, something's really wrong with you. You need to talk to me after service, right? Everybody feels lonely at one time or another. But now it's our turn, you know, to know what it means to belong to family. And know, know what it means to have a father, a provider, a defender at the same time. Let's pray.